at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Now get five years no interest plus five months no first payment. But only through December 31st. Set your free consultation today at PellaWI.com radio or call 855-PELLA-WI. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. A lot of stuff to get through on Friday. We're going to motor through topics relatively quickly. Um, some lighter stuff, some heavier stuff. It'll be an interesting program, I guarantee it. I, you know, I, I start off, now this is a little story in some respects, but it, it again, it underscores why we, we can't have nice things. Up in Cedarburg, they've got a community ice rink. And people wait all year for the ice rink to open so kids can go out and skate on it. Adults can go out and skate on it. Maybe they can play some hockey and things like that. Well, the ice rink is currently closed because for the second time in about 10 days, the the ice rink has been vandalized. Somebody or bodies have have gone out, presumably in the middle of the night, and, and what they've done is they they've like taken huge ruts out of the ice rink. Same sort of damage. It happened about a week ago, and now it, it's happened again. It's just destruction for the sake of destruction. There is nothing <clears throat> to be accomplished by this. I mean, it's it's not even like hey, we're breaking into cars because we wanna we wanna see if there's money in the cars to steal or things like that. It, it's not even that. It's just vandalism for the sake of vandalism and you sit there and you think what what goes through people's minds that this is this is right this is okay that this is fun let's go out and let's damage something solely for the purpose of trying to deprive others of a little bit of enjoyment I I just I've never understood the vandalism for the sake of vandalism now the police are involved and my guess is they'll put up cameras or something and, and, and if they catch the people that do it my guess is it's kids but but you know who who knows? But but who goes out and destroys stuff just for the sake of destroying things? And unfortunately, that's kind of the norm here. All right, here there, there's good news, and then it's perhaps the easiest question of the day. The new numbers are out, and in Wisconsin, the jobless rate has now fallen to a record low of 2.8% in December. So that means the unemployment rate is now below 3%. So that is, of of all the people that are trying to find jobs, less than 3% are are unable to do that. And and that always includes some what we call structural unemployment, which is people who are are between jobs. You know, you've left one job, you're moving over to another. 2.8% is incredibly good. Good news. It, it's just absolutely tremendous. But, and what is the easiest question of the day? Now, you might, I would ask, why has the unemployment rate suddenly dropped to 2.8%? And under certain circumstances, I, I'd open up the phone lines and allow you to take a guess, but we've got a lot of stuff I want to cover on today's program. So l- let me just kind of walk you through this. Below 3% is absolutely tremendous. So what's going on here? Well, well, first of all, as we all know, there is an incredible demand, a pent-up demand for workers. You, you can't, whether it's, it doesn't matter pretty much what the industry is, 
everybody is looking for people. If you are not employed now, you're, you're not really working very hard at trying to find a job because employers are begging people to work. So that's number one. You've got incredible demand on the part of employers looking for things. But, but that, I don't think, fully and completely explains why the unemployment rate is dropped to 2.8%, especially since, okay, this was December. At the end of September... You know what the unemployment rate was in Wisconsin? It was about 4%, 3.9%. So so it's dropped over 1.1% over the last two months. And, and it had held at that 3.9% for about six months, March through, through September. It had been solid at right around 4%. And then now, two months after that, it suddenly dropped below 3%. Well, all right, think back. What has changed between... Oh, September and the end of September and December. Huh, what happened? Let's think through this. Oh, yeah. You know what happened in September? Well, September was the last time that the federal government started providing, provided the enhanced unemployment benefits. Remember that extra $300 a month that was going to people on top of whatever they were getting from the state. That ended in September, and surprise follows surprise. All right, you've got October, and then starting in November and then December, you start to see the unemployment rate drop dramatically. So maybe for those of us who were saying that, you know, as soon as you stop providing these these extra enhanced benefits, that's going to motivate more people to go back to work. And you know what? It looks like that is precisely what happened. Because let's face it, there, there's really no more demand in December for jobs than there was demand in September. It, it, it's always been incredibly high. Employers begging to try to get people to come out. The one thing that has changed dramatically is there's no longer these sweeteners that provided an incentive for people to not look for work. So the incentives have now gone away. The incentives are now at a point where people are trying to get back to employment. And as a result of that, the unemployment rate is going down. Gee, you take away the artificial boost-ups, and suddenly people realize, oh, maybe it's time to go back to work. Who would have thought that? Oh, Oh, yeah, everybody thought that except perhaps Governor Evers, who vetoed the efforts that the Republicans put through months and months ago to shut off the spigot of benefits earlier. I believe we could have had lower unemployment a lot sooner were it not for those enhanced benefits. But now that they're gone, people are back to work. Employers are starting to gear up the economy. It's all good. It just could have happened a lot sooner. When we come back, I want to talk about a trial that's been going on this week in Wisconsin. Get your reaction as to whether you buy what the defense is selling. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, very glad to have you with us. All right, let's talk about this trial that is going on in Milwaukee County. It's getting all sorts of attention on court TV because it raises interesting questions of self-defense, especially in light of the Kyle Rittenhouse case. The defendant on trial is a 32-year-old guy named Theodore Edgecombe. He is accused of murdering a 54-year-old immigration attorney named Jason Clearman. The shooting happened on Milwaukee's east side, September 22, 2020. I don't know that the facts are really at 
issue. Trial is going on now. They anticipate that maybe the defendant, Edgecombe, um, he's, he might even take the stand today or certainly Monday. I mean, his attorneys say he's going to testify. So so here's what happens. It's, it's a warm September evening, and the victim, Jason Clearman, and his wife are coming home. They've been out to a bar. I don't think there's any evidence of extreme intoxication. As a matter of fact, there's not. She's driving. He's in the passenger side of their vehicle, driving down a street on the east side. This Theodore Edgecombe, he's on a bicycle. And maybe there's a little bit of controversy about this, but it appears that Edgecombe veers out. He's on the bicycle, and he kind of moves out a little bit, and the vehicle, the car, driven by the Miss is Clearman, has to kind of swerve to avoid him, going into the other lane of traffic. Then it comes back, and the window is rolled down, and Jason Clearman, the 54-year-old guy, <clears throat> yells at the bicyclist. Now, I think what prosecution's going to say is, by, by kind of swerving out <clears throat> like he did, the, the bicyclist caused the Clearman vehicle to like, pull into the other lane of traffic and then pull back. In any, in any case, Jason Clearman, the man, he's in the passenger seat. He yells at the bicyclist, and, and he yells something not nice, calls him name. Not, not, a, not a racial slur at this point in time, but just, you know, screams at the guy for, I guess his perception was, pulling out. Now, there's some question. I think Edgecombe's going to say that he really didn't pull out, that the other car kind of swerved, but all right, doesn't matter. So you have this little bit of a confrontation. So the guy in the passenger seat yells at the bicyclist. The car then drives on. The bicyclist comes up to the, the red light where the car is then stopped a little bit down the way and reaches in and punches the passenger who yelled at him, punches him in the face and, and draws, draws blood. I mean, just hauls off and hits him. The bicyclist then takes a right turn and takes off, and the car follows him. So now the wife is driving. The husband is sitting in the passenger seat. He's just been hit in the face by the guy on the bicycle. So they follow him. So they make a right turn. The bicyclist is going one way. The car is following him. Ultimately, the bicyclist stops. The car stops. The passenger, the guy who's been hit in the face, he gets out of the car and he starts coming towards the guy who was on the bicycle. The guy on the bicycle, he's now facing the guy who's coming towards him. Got it? So this is the scenario. The guy on the bicycle pulls a gun out of his pants and at point-blank range shoots Jason Clearman in, in the face. Shoots him in the face, kills him on the spot then gets back on the bicycle and, and takes off, ultimately goes on the lamb. He is a fugitive for the, the better part of, I think, six months or something like that before, before he's caught. So you, you have a man killed in cold blood, right? So you say, okay, well, what, what is the issue? Now, there's some, there, there's some issue, uh, according to the defense, as the guy who was murdered gets out of the car and goes to confront the guy on the bike, um, the, the, the story the defense tells is that he, he uttered a, a racial slur. I don't know if that's the case or not. don't know if it changes anything or not. The man who was shot did not have a gun. I think he had like a pocket knife or something, but he wasn't brandishing it. He was just, he, he was, for all intents and purposes, according to everybody, he was, he was unarmed. He was coming towards the guy who had just punched him in the face. The guy who punches him in the face pulls out the gun, shoots him at point-blank range, kills him, takes off. All right, so that's that 
you, you can play around with the nuances of the case, but that's essentially you know what ends up happening. The defense is going to be one of self-defense. The defendant will testify, but I mean, the, the defense attorney in his clo- opening statement was very clear about this. He said, "Look, he, he felt that he felt that he had been threatened. He'd been run off the road by the, this car, and the car followed him. And the man came out, and the man who he had hit was clearly angry, and so he felt that he had to shoot him in the face with the gun to uh, again protect himself." All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, obviously, there, there, as always, there's there's nuance that, that's involved, but I think that's kind of a fair recitation of the underlying facts of the case. You have an unarmed man who was, in fact, after being hit in the face by the bicyclist, did follow him and was getting ready to confront him after the guy had punched him. The guy who had punched him pulls out a gun and shoots him at point-blank range. Self-defense or something else? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in a moment. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, does this strike you as self defense? I mean, I think the facts, like I say, are pretty much pretty pretty clear cut. You you've got an altercation between a bicyclist and a car. The bicyclist follows the car till it stops at a red light, reaches in the passenger side window, and punches the passenger in the face hard enough to draw blood. The bicyclist then takes off. The car follows the bicyclist. The bicyclist stops. The car stops. The man who's been punched in the face gets out of the car, starts to approach the bicyclist. Um, there, there's some somebody texted me and said, well, you forgot to mention he said he took a boxer stance. Well, okay, there, there's some question about that, but the response of the bicyclist is to pull out a gun and shoot, shoot the guy at point-blank range. Let me. How in the world could anybody think this is self-defense? I mean, seriously, how can you think it is self-defense to punch somebody in the face? Admittedly, then the guy follows you, but but it's not he's not brandishing a weapon. So you punch somebody in the face, and then when the guy comes back after you, you pull out a gun and shoot him at point-blank range or shoot him in the eye, and, and your justification is, well, I, I was fearful. I, I'm sorry, I'm not buying any of this, Rittenhouse or not. The Rittenhouse case, to me, is completely different on its facts, but... Who knows what the jury's going to do? What do you think? Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. I think Hi, it's absolutely ludicrous as well. Um, the bicyclist is, for lack of a better word, a punk. I mean, he's the one who makes the car beer off in the first place. And I've seen other bicyclists say they don't follow the rules of the road on the streets. That being said, then the guy says something to him, which, which most normal people would say, hey, man, you just almost made me crash or something like that. Most people respond like that. Then the guy creates another punk move by punching him in the face. I'm sure he came up on him when the guy wasn't aware. And then he drives away, not fighting like a man, but drives away like a punk. And then when the guy, you know, wants to confront him for uh, punching him in the face, he pulls out a gun and shoots him. That's that's a punk move. That's not self-defense. He should be prosecuted. If they even try to play the race card, he's the racist for doing something like that. If you want to play that game. Well, thanks. Thanks for calling, Mike. I, I appreciate. It. Of course, that, that's the the undertow of this is that the victim was white. the The defendant in this case is is black, so African American. So you have that issue there. I'm just trying to look at the underlying facts of of, of this case, 
And, you know, it, it's it's not an argument like Rittenhouse, where the claim at least was that the guy, the first guy that got that had been shot by Rittenhouse had threatened his life earlier, and then, you know, there was an effort to try to take the gun away from him. This is not a case like this at all. This is a situation where you have a fist fight that then apparently starts to, starts to escalate, and the bicyclist decides to wrap up the fist fight by pulling out a handgun and shooting somebody. This Again, the, the rules of self-defense, the way I have always understood them, is the response needs to be proportionate to what the, the threat is. Now, if this was a situation where, I don't know, the victim in this case gets out of the car and he's got a gun in his hand, that's a different story. But there wasn't a gun here. If he gets out of the car and he's got a baseball bat and he's coming at him with a baseball bat, maybe that's a, a different story as well. But But that's... That's not the case. You have somebody that's been punched in the face who's clearly angry. He's getting out. Yes, he, he's coming towards him. Now, the bicyclist had a number of options. First of all, he could have gotten on the bicycle and, and continued riding. Um, but if this turns out to be like a punch out or something, well, then, you know, everybody's got their problems and everybody ends up getting charged. And that's all well and good. But it seems to me you, you cannot escalate this to the point of saying, well, gee, I, I, I feared that this man that I had just hit in the face, this 54-year-old guy, I, I feared that he was going to do me bodily harm, so I, I pull out a gun and I shoot him. To me, that response is so completely and totally out of proportion. Now, I'm, I'm sure he will justify, I was going to testify, he's going to say, well, I feared for my life. Well, okay, you're the guy that, that had the gun. Maybe if you just even brandished the gun, that would have been enough to make the man you know, back off, but instead you, you shot him. Then... Unlike the Rittenhouse case, you have the shooter in this case who decides to go on the lam for for six months or, or however long he was gone. In the Rittenhouse case, remember Rittenhouse tried to turn himself in and then subsequently did in the immediate aftermath of of the shooting within what twenty four hours or something like that. That's not what happened in this particular case. Now again, it's all going to be fact specific, but I look at this and I will tell you if something like this works for self-defense everybody's got to start to be really scared because that means i don't know you get into a situation where you yell at somebody and they then say gee i was afraid for my life when the person you know um that i had i had hit this guy in the face and then he starts to confront me so that gives me justification to pull out my gun and execute him if that's really the, the case I'm telling you, the city of Milwaukee really has become the wild, wild west. Now, I don't think that that's going to be the case, but you never know what juries are going to do. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. The road to the big game goes through Green Bay. On tap this weekend is a matchup between the Packers and the 49ers with kickoff this Saturday night at 7.15. Here this game and every playoff game right here on the home of the Packers, 620 WTMJ. Coverage of the Green and Gold playoffs is presented by Annex Wealth Management. You know, I hesitate to say this because I, I my, my ability to predict football games and spreads this year has been 
absolutely terrible. There's this game that we, we have for fun. It's called Cover 5, and there's a lot of people at the station that play it and friends play it. And, and what happens is it's a season-long thing where you pick five games against the spread. So if the Packers are favored by 10 points and you think the Packers are going to win and they end up winning by 20, well, you, you get 10 points for your account. And you have to pick five games every week, and there's just like a running total that's there. And this year, I think in our league, we had like 19 or 20 people. I was absolutely terrible. I, I was just, I, I, I got on the wrong side of a couple big blowout games early in the year, never caught up. I think I finished like 17th. It was, it was just, it was really, it was almost laughable at how bad I was at trying to anticipate the spreads. And the only good thing is we, we really weren't playing for any sort of significant money. So what, I, I'm always hesitant to look at games and make these predictions because, like I say, I've really been off this year. A lot of the national pundits think that the 49ers have a pretty decent chance to win this game. And it's been kind of interesting to see, and the arguments are, well, the 49ers match up well against the Packers. They've got a strong running game, and the Packers historically haven't done well at stopping the really good runners and things like that. So, And then the argument is that the, Pack, that the 49ers' defensive line is going to give the Packers all sorts of problems. So it's if you read a lot of the national commentators, it's amazing how many people think that the 49ers are going to either win outright or make it an extremely close game. So I, I appreciate maybe I'm swimming upstream. I guess I look at this game and I just think the four, I think the Packers are a much better team. And my my general feeling when it comes to sports is the better team almost always wins. And in the case of this game, it, it, you know, what, who would you rather have as your quarterback? You know, Aaron Rodgers or Jimmy Garofalo? Well, I think it, it's it's pretty clear. You know, you've got the, one of the best quarterbacks in the league, maybe one of the best quarterbacks of all time. You've got you know people who are coming back; they're healthy. Could be completely wrong about this, but I don't think it's even going to be that close a game. And of course, you're also playing at home when the temperature is going to be in the single digits or whatever. I just I. I I hope I'm I'm right about this, and I'm a little bit hesitant even to say this because my predictions about games have been just so off this year. But I, I think I think they end up doing pretty well. That is my general sense. All right, I want to circle back on something we talked about earlier this week because there have been some new developments, including what I think is an interesting decision by the Milwaukee County District Attorney's Office. Now, this is the District Attorney's Office that pretty much looks the other way on almost every sort of crime imaginable, but they've decided to issue a charge, and I want to get your reaction to it. This is that that just bizarre story involving the the shooting of the 16-year-old girl at the Burger King. Now, let's just review this quickly. I think everybody probably knows the the facts. This is at least what the the state, this is what the, the government said happened in this particular case. There was a 16-year-old girl who worked at a Burger King. She, one of her co-workers, who worked, also 16-year-old, who worked at the, the drive through register, and one of the girl's fathers cooked up this scheme to stage a robbery at the Burger King. And the deal was the father was going to come through the drive through window wearing a mask and carrying a gun, make it look like a robbery, and the 16-year-old, not the guy's daughter, but the other 16-year-old was supposed to hand him, him the money. All right? Well, we all know that this, this kind of went bad because when they were going through this, apparently the 16-year-old girl who was the cashier who was supposed to give the money, she froze for a minute. So the robber, the would-be robber, 
wearing the mask, having the gun in his hand, he comes through the drive through window to grab the cash. All right. This is, at least according to the state of Wisconsin, this was all staged. It was not a real, it was a, rob, a real robbery, but there, there wasn't supposed to be any shooting or anything. It was just kind of an, what we would call an inside job. Well, here, here's what happens. There's a 34-year-old guy. His name is Derek Ellis, who works at the Burger King. He is, he's a felon, so he's not allowed legally to carry a gun, but he does carry a gun. And the manager at the Burger King apparently knew that, that he had the gun. He carries the gun, presumably for his own safety. Well, he doesn't know anything about this staged robbery. He's just working at the Burger King that night when all this stuff happens. So he sees this robbery in progress, and he sees the guy with the mask and the gun coming through the, the drive through window. So he pulls out his gun. He fires a couple shots instead of hitting the man who's coming through the window, the, the robber, he ends up inadvertently shooting the 16-year-old girl, you know, one of the two 16-year-old girls. At that point in time, he stashes the gun in the uh, safe and then takes off, goes on the lam himself for a couple weeks or however long this was. He has now turned himself in. As we have talked about before, to me, this is a clear-cut case. I mean, he's obviously he's a felon. He's in possession of the firearm, period. I mean, so clearly you, you need to bring felon in possession charges against the guy. Whatever his motivation was, whether this was a legitimate exercise of self-defense or not, doesn't make any difference. He's not allowed to have the gun, all right, period. So I think clearly felon possession of a firearm. The district attorney, though, has taken this one step further. They have now issued homicide charges against the man, the, the shooter in this case. He's now been charged with homicide by negligent handling of a dangerous weapon. Um, this carries up to 10 years in prison. All right, the statute here, I pulled out the statute for our discussion. It says, whoever causes the death of another human being by the negligent operation of a dangerous weapon is guilty of a Class G felony. And then you say, okay, well, what, what, what exactly does that mean? And criminal negligence means ordinary negligence to a high degree, consisting of conduct that the actor should realize creates a substantial and unreasonable risk of death or great bodily harm to another. All right, so what they're saying is by shooting at the guy who, with the mask and the gun, was coming through the window, you created, uh, by firing, you created an unreasonable risk of, of death. In this case, it was, unfortunately, to the 16-year-old who was in the line of fire. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I don't. There's no question in my mind about the felon in possession of a gun. He should not have had the gun, needs to be held accountable for that. But in this particular case, let's put that aside for just a second. You're working at the Burger King. You see this robbery in place, and and you don't know that it's, it's all staged. You don't know that it's an inside job. You see a guy with a gun and a mask coming through that drive through window, you reach out and you fire a couple shots. I mean, is, is that negligent handling of a dangerous weapon, or is that a, a reasonable, 
use of self-defense or something of the like. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, of course, this is unfortunate. There's incredibly tragic consequences here because the 16-year-old girl is in the line of fire, regardless of whether she was part of this, this robbery plan or not. Her family disputes that. But, but does that make any difference? It's a robbery that is in progress. The guy takes his gun, he shoots at the would-be robber, he inadvertently hits somebody else. Should he go to prison for 10 years for doing that? 855-616-1620, we discuss in a moment. Stick around. Jeff Wagner is right around the corner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Vincent on the northwest side. Vincent, good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon, Jeff. Um, I don't know if he should be should do ten years, but I do think the district attorney should charge him with something. The fact is, he was an employee of uh, Burger King, and I'm sure in their policy uh, they don't have that. Uh, that they don't have that. Uh, an employee should be able to have a gun in their in their establishment. And also, he was a felon, and he did cause a death. Well, he did shoot the young lady. So it's different between me walking into a Burger King, seeing a robbery, and and trying to stop the individual, compared to an employee who shouldn't have a gun. Mm -hmm. The interesting interesting detail about that, though, Vincent, is apparently the manager at the Burger King knew the guy had a gun, let him carry a gun there, and actually let him put it in the Burger King safe after the shooting. So, yes, I I would imagine Burger King does have a policy, but the the manager apparently knew the guy had a gun and, and didn't have a problem with it. Well, the manager is in the wrong as well. The fact yeah. is, your, your employees should not have a gun when 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 uh, the organization doesn't allow it. So yes, I think he should be charged with something. Do I think he needs to do ten years? No. But the fact is, is that the, the fact is he was in the wrong with having a gun there. And the fact is, usually they probably say reason why they were robbing the place because usually they say you give the pre- the, the robber the money and then we deal right. with it afterwards. But the right. fact is, he had the gun there, which ended it ended up causing this girl's death. So yeah, I think he needs to be charged with something. Yeah, thanks to call Vincent. Well, I mean, again, I, and I just yes, to me, there, there's two there's two different issues. One is, does he need to be charged with something? And I, and, and my answer would be yes. And and of course, the, the low hanging fruit is, is that he's a felon in possession of a firearm. So that that's to me that that's clear. He, he doesn't doesn't matter whether Burger King let him have the gun there or not. He he wasn't supposed to have that gun legally. And, and I'm I'm one of these people that you know I, I'm deaf on these felon in possession charges because you know we always talk about gun violence and things like that. And you know one one of the things is we we have laws when people get convicted of felonies they're not allowed to carry firearms. So regardless of you know what the excuse is, he wasn't supposed to have the gun. So I if you're asking me, do you charge him? with something yeah, I, I clearly charge him with that I admit I'm wrestling with the idea of, of the homicide charge here because here you have a situation where let, let let's forget the fact for a second that he's the, a felon in possession of a firearm okay let, let's let's forget the fact that he's not legally allowed to carry the gun imagine a situation where you have let's say a convenience store owner who's got a gun behind the counter because the place has been held up. Same factual situation. Somebody with a mask and a gun comes in, brandishes the gun. The convenience store owner reaches under the counter, pulls out the gun, fires a couple shots at the would-be robber, and ends up hitting a bystander. 
All right. Now, let, let's put aside civil liability, you know, lawsuits and things like that, you know, the civil case. I mean, the criminal case, in, in a situation like that, where you have the convenience store owner who pulls out the gun and, you know, is seeing the robber coming through that's armed and, and fires a shot and missed, are you going to charge that convenience store owner with, with homicide? Tough case, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, Mantry in Milwaukee. You're on WTMJ. Hey, Joe. I, I just listened. I just heard what you just said about uh, the convenience store or what have you. Um, mm-hmm. I worked at a liquor store for nine years, and we hired a few felons. Um, and there were known to have, you know, a firearm there. The, the owner had a firearm there under the counter, and we did get robbed. So what would you say as to, you know, someone, whoever it is, grabs the gun from under the counter and then tries to protect the store, felon or not? Does that felon get charged for being in possession of a firearm, even though the liquor store owner had the weapon there? I mean, it's just, it's a quid pro quo. It, it, you know, it, 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 it's a hard decision to make. Mm-hmm. And as far as the Burger King situation, I know the family personally. Um, and it's a, it's, it's a tragedy that it it happened. Think about if the guy had not had possessed the weapon, how much worse or how much more detrimental it could have been. Um, I don't think he should be charged with the death in her in her in her case, um, and it's unfortunate that she did lose her life. I do, however, think he should be charged with making a bad decision, right. which is carrying um, the gun. Yeah, thanks. I mean, thanks just, for the call. And it's yeah, and I. Yeah. I mean, I look I, to me, and thank you for the call. I appreciate the perspective. This, there's no winners in, in this type of situation, but. I, I, I think the homicide by negligent handling of firearm, it, it may end up being a, a bridge too far in this particular situation. Again, nobody's arguing, I, I don't think, that there shouldn't be some degree of accountability. But this is just, and, and you know, you made an interesting point about how much worse could it have been. Let's let's assume for the second that, that, it, that it wasn't the inside job, that, that at least the state says that it, it was. I mean, let's assume that this is a situation, and, and this is in the perspective of the shooter. This is all he knows. He sees a guy with a gun prominently displayed that's coming through that, that window, and I guess the, the point is, what what could have, have happened there? Could he have started shooting? Could you have done all the things? That That's why I think you have to ask the question that in a situation like this, putting aside the felon in possession thing, would it be reasonable to say, hey, I, I'm, I'm acting like the hero. I'm pulling out the gun to try to, to stop. I'm using my firearm to try to stop this armed robbery, this guy who's coming through brandishing the gun. That's going to be the, the difficult thing. Now, I don't know how hard they're going to push this. I mean, they've brought these charges. Maybe it's, again, some sort of leverage. I think if this – and it, it is. It's a very, very unfortunate situation, a, a chain of events that was set in motion by the, this plot to rob the store in the first place that is right out of the plot of a very bad Hollywood movie. Also, what you have to keep in mind is there, there's a difference between civil and criminal liability. 
Um, obviously, there will be some lawsuits that will be filed here, and you know maybe there's negligence on the part of the shooter, and, and maybe there'll be lawsuits, but that's different than saying we're going to put you in prison for 10 years for doing this. Interesting case to watch. I'm a little bit surprised that the district attorney brought the homicide charges because I think they've really made a very, very difficult, it's a very difficult prosecution, but time will tell. Back with more in just a couple of minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. Um, if you think bad things are bad in the stock market, you are exactly correct. The Dow down 182 points today. The NASDAQ down 196 points. The NASDAQ, it, 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 it is on pace to close about seven, six to seven percent lower today than it was on on Monday. It's shaping up as one of the worst, actually the worst week since like October of 2020 when we were at the height of the first COVID um, problems. And so the, the NASDAQ absolutely cratering. The NASDAQ is what, in, which is the tech heavy thing. They um, are talking about how it's clearly in what they call a correction. A correction is when you, the, the index drops more than 10% from its high. And right now the NASDAQ is down about 12% since it's high in November. Now, the good news is that that's, that's from a high, but what's happening right now is just an, an absolute brutal bloodbath um, as as people are, are bailing. Part of it's interest rates. Part of it is concern about um, supply chain issues, all sorts of factors that are there, and there's a lot of emotion that's coming into this as well. But if you think it's ugly in the stock market, you are exactly, exactly correct. Stock market opened up uh, yesterday. I, I think the NASDAQ was up a couple hundred points points early the Dow was up about 300 points and then just completely and totally cratered in the afternoon well today it's just been cratering all day and like I say it's on track to lose more than six percent this week alone at the same time you know everybody says that you, you've got to just kind of ride these things out and, and not panic because when you end up panicking that's when you end up making bad decisions all right I want to completely switch topics because there I'm always curious as to whether stuff is a fad or whether stuff really has has long-standing legs now the last thing I need in my life right now is some other time suck that is something else to distract me from all the different things. I mean, I, I, I have enough of that. I, I got all these books that I read. I, I just I, I watch you know junk TV and things like that. You know, my, my wife and I walk the dog. All those different sorts of things. I do crossword puzzles every day. That's that's always that's sort of been my habit. I do the New York Times crossword puzzle. I do the Wall Street Journal crossword puzzle. So that's kind of one of my ways of passing time. So I have been. I, I don't need anything else that's going to like like cause me to spend time away from certain more important things. And yet there's something out there that a lot of people are getting drawn into. It's this this game that's you don't even need to download the app, but it's an app and it's also on the computer. It's called Wordle. W O R D L E. And it's really People started playing it in large numbers at the end of last year, and, and it's growing like exponentially day by day. If you're not familiar with Wordle, here, here it's, a, it's a pretty simple thing. It, it's, it changes every day, and it, it's a grid with um, six rows of, 
of five-letter words. And the, the ultimate object is to try to guess what the word is for the day. And so what you do is, is you start off, and in the first, the first line, you type in a word. And, you know, r- rodeo, you type in the word. And what will happen is if, if the letters that you type in, R-O-D-E-O, if any of, well, you wouldn't use rodeo because it would have um, two O's, but if any of those letters are in the, the word that you're looking for, well, it'll light up. If it lights up yellow, that tells you that the letter is, is one that's in the word you're trying to guess, but it's not in the right position. On the other hand, if it, you get a green light, that tells you that the letter is exactly you know where it's supposed to be. And so then you put in another word, and another word, and another word. And the game is to try to get the five-letter word. Um, you get six tries at it. And if you get it, you win. Now you don't win anything, but if you go if you go on Twitter, you'll, you'll see people posting, you know, their their responses on on Wordle, and it, it's just absolutely taken off exponentially. Now, because I, I always try to be up on my pop culture things, I, I've played it for the, the last three or four days just to see, you know, do I like it? Do I think I'm going to get addicted to it? Am I going to get drawn in? And candidly, um, my my response has been, eh. You know, it's I, I mean, it, it's simple, I guess. It's it's easy. Or, I mean, relatively easy. Um, it's five letter words. It doesn't take a ton of time. But do I wake up every morning thinking, gosh, I, I want to get on this app and I want to figure out what the Wordle word is and I want to play this? To me, it's not something that has held my interest. But I know that there's all sorts of other people who have been drawn in in a big way. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the um, Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Here's the deal. All right, Wordle, have you caught... Have you caught the Wordle fever? Are you out there playing it? What is it? Is, is, is the appeal of this? Is this going to be something that you know has legs? Is it going to exist like well crossword puzzles and things of the like, or is this going to be one of these fads that well okay people played it, they had a little bit of fun with it, and now they've moved on to other things. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs> Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's the latest craze, which is sweeping the nation. It's a game called Wordle. W O R D L E. If you haven't heard of it, well, you know people around you have, and it's essentially like this little word game. There's a different word every day. You can download it on the computer. You can play it on this app, and it's essentially a word guessing game. I described it earlier. I, I've tried it for the last few days because. It appears that everybody is playing this. I'm not sure that, that I get it, but at the same time, I'm a crossword guy, and, and that's what what I've done. Um, I, I know I know a lot of people love the what the Sudoku thing, and I, I never got into that either. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Joe on the South Side. Joe, good afternoon. Good afternoon. My wife showed me that game, and she nailed a word on her second try. <laughs> okay. Now, I don't know the odds of that, but she was she was surprised as heck. <laughs> okay. Has she played it more than once then? You know, there's, it, 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 the word changes every day, I am told. Yes, yeah, she plays it every day, and she hasn't even come close. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so she's getting addicted to this, huh? Uh. Nah, I don't know if it addicted is you know it's it's a daily thing, so yeah. I. But yeah, when the word was, uh, I think it was point or it was a couple of days ago. Second right. try. But right. That's just what I wanted to say. No, well, thanks for calling, Joe, and, and that's that's good. I, I'm normally able to figure it out, and, and you you, you got to play it a couple times to kind of get the hang of it. Um, here's one of our texters, Jeff. I just played it for the first time. I got it on the fourth line. Yeah, you, you get the you get six words, Jeff. Thank you for explaining Wordle. I saw on Facebook that my niece was playing it. Yeah, this is the thing. People people are are not only playing it, but then they post whether it's on Twitter or on Facebook or Instagram or whatever the heck else is out there, they'll, they'll post, like, screenshots so showing how quickly that they got the word. Like our, you know, because, again, you have six tries the way you work through this. Jeff, thanks for explaining Wordle on Facebook. I saw that my niece was playing with it. I had no idea what it was. I guess I'm really out of the loop. It doesn't interest me. Well, I mean, look, it's, it's one of these harmless things, and I, I understand that if for people of a certain generation, when I say, well, I like to do the crosswords, you kind of go, well, why, why would anybody sit there and do crosswords? Well, I, I do because I think it, it helps keep my mind active and it, it kind of, you it expands your vocabulary and things like that. And so, I mean, I like crosswords. Wordle reminds me kind of of... Well, sort of like the the jumble, you know. If, if you ever see that, like in the newspapers, like the Green Sheet and the Journal Sentinel, it's it's the jumble where there's the different words that you have to rearrange. It's kind of like that, but for you know the modern times. Um, one of our texters says, "Never heard of it." Um, sounds fine for people who like that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess it is fine for people who like that kind of thing. But this this is sort of the next big thing that's out there. I'm just not convinced that I, I'm not convinced that this stuff is going to have legs. I think this is one where maybe people are going to kind of get a little bit tired of it after a while. But if you haven't tried it and you've always wondered what this is, all you have to do. Go into Google, go into whatever search engine you use, put the word W-O-R-D-L-E, you will see it. It'll come up. There's an easy explanation to how to play it. It's not like it takes a whole lot of time to figure this out. And then you're off to the races. Now, here's the bottom line. Don't blame me if you happen to play it and then end up getting sucked into this and end up getting addicted. It's it's not necessarily for me, but it's certainly for a lot of people out there. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, very glad to have you with us. They're a little bit late to the game, but Milwaukee, once again in the national news, this is the Wall Street Journal today. They have an editorial about, the headline is, Cars Are Too Easy to Steal. And it makes reference to something that we talked about in great detail when it first happened, the the fact that you've got car thefts, which are just absolutely, of course, through the roof, and you have a number of aldermen in Milwaukee whose response to the car thefts being through the roof was to say, well, maybe we should look at suing the car manufacturers because the, the cars are, are too easy to steal. And the, the Wall Street Journal uh, pretty much makes fun of of that position and and sort of mocks it again talking about the the permissive policies of Milwaukee County District Attorney John Chisholm and the refusal that many aldermen have had to to call out Chisholm 
and the court system for refusing to hold the car thieves accountable. I bring this up only because this is an issue, of course, that we talk about a lot, but now it's starting to get national attention, especially the ridiculousness of the idea that we're going to hold the car manufacturers accountable because, well, you know, it, it's it's possible to break in a window with of a certain type of vehicle without setting off the alarm, without worrying about what, why are we not prosecuting the people who are breaking in those windows in the first place so you've got that situation that's there and once again we are in the national news because of this another interesting story that's out there and see i appreciate that when it when it comes to politics and politicians we we all have our inherent biases and if it's something that donald trump says and you love donald trump well you're going to be predisposed to agree with it and if you hate donald trump it's well trump said that it's awful and the same thing's true with biden and things like that now sometimes when people misspeak it, it has extreme consequences for example when joe biden has a press conference the other day and joe biden says well you know if if russia only has a minor incursion into ukraine you know maybe it's going to be something different which of course you know causes worldwide panic about what the heck is he saying is he saying well you know if there's just i don't know if they only you know move a hundred thousand troops a little bit across the border that that's going to be a minor incursion and then the white house has to spend all sorts of time trying to, to clean that up because you're wondering okay where did this whole concept of minor incursion come from but so in presidents say things and i don't know if joe was just rambling or i don't know if he misspoke or or whatever it it creates issues then there's other times when people are commenting on things and it's clear what they mean and yet people try to seize on it to give it whatever spin they have all right mitch mcconnell is the republican leader in the senate he's the senate minority leader mitch mcconnell is very very controversial among the left because you know he's managed to keep his republican coalition intact and as a result the democrats don't have enough votes to advance a lot of their their agenda so mitch mcconnell is viewed as being evil and all those sorts of things well one of the big issues of course over the course of the last week has been the the so-called voting rights act which ended up ended up dying. Now, I think that the Voting Rights Act is is kind of a misnomer because what this really was was an effort for the federal government to federalize state election procedures and to say that, okay, if the state doesn't allow, for example, you know, mail-in ballots to be, it requires, for example, mail-in ballots to be, have to be received by the day of the election. Well, no, you'd have time after the election to do that. It would set up federal rules over what has always been a state procedure. And it just went down in flames. They didn't have enough votes to pass it. So Mitch McConnell is viewed as one of the bad guys for doing this. So one of the kind of crazy arguments that was out there was, hey, if, if you don't nationalize this, if you don't do this, what that's going to be is that's going to be like, like Jim Crow. This is going to be an effort to disenfranchise people of color. So, you know, yesterday McConnell is answering that. And here's what he says. He says, look, th- this concern is misplaced because if you look at the statistics, African-American voters are voting in just a high per- as a percentage as Americans. Okay, that, that's what he says. And, of course, you know what he's talking about is he says he, what he means is African-American voters are voting in just as high a percentage as any other Americans. But he just says it's Americans. So the headline in the Washington Post is, well, 
you know, he, he's implying that black people are something different than Americans, to which you want to say, uh, come on, give me a break. I mean, here's the whole idea about this. It's like, look, I, I understand that you cannot like McConnell. I, I get it. I understand that he's a controversial figure. But you know, he's just pointing out that, at least based on the numbers that he's looking at, and I don't know if it's accurate or not, but he's just simply saying, okay, African-American voters vote in the same percentage, just the highest percentage as anyone else. So to say that this is going to disenfranchise all sorts of people is just wrong. Maybe he's right, maybe he's wrong, but this effort to, well, are you suggesting that African-American voters are something other than Americans? Come on, give me a break. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Well, there's always bubbles, and bubbles always burst. And again, one of the things I'm intrigued with, and we talk about on this program from time to time, is is the whole idea of of pop culture, and is stuff lasting, or is stuff a, a fad? During the start of the pandemic, one of the things that happened as as we shut down uh, was the fact that you know people people ended up changing their behavior. If you, for example, were into exercise and you were used to going to the gyms, but now that the government had ordered the gyms to be closed down and stuff, the question was, okay, what are you going to do? And what happened is more and more people decided to, okay, let, let's go into the home exercise stuff. Let's let's equip our homes with gyms. Let's buy all this fancy equipment, and, and then we won't need to go to the gyms. So what you had is a lot of the equipment manufacturers saw their business just just skyrocket because of that now at the same time all right things change you get a certain point where people buy all sorts of stuff and then there's really not that many more people that are out there to buy the product or people who've purchased the product they find well we're getting a little bit bored with it or the pandemic winds down we start to reopen stuff and people go back to the gyms and then all that expensive exercise equipment they purchased ends up being an even more expensive clothes rack for their house which brings me to the story of Peloton. Peloton is, of course, the manufacturer of the extremely high-end bicycles and treadmills. But, but bicycles is where they really came to fame. Now, in addition to the Peloton bicycles, and we've, we've talked about this before. I, I swear I, I didn't get it. And I know people who order these Peloton bicycles. And you, know, you, could, you could find... For 400 or 500 bucks, you could find a perfectly serviceable, high-quality exercise bike, right? But people were dropping a couple thousand dollars to have the Peloton bikes. Now, one of the other things that came with the Peloton bikes was that you were connected to the Peloton community. So in addition to buying the bike, <coughs> what you ended up doing is you would sign up for the, the services, which would be all the different classes that they would offer. Matter of fact, I, I know people who do this to this day. So, you know, you have different exercise instructors at different times and you log on and they give you the encouragement and stuff like that and, and you it's part of this overall community. And I, I mean I know people who waited months and months and months to get their bikes. As a matter of fact, one of the things that Peloton got in a little bit of trouble over is despite the fact that they weren't able to keep up with production, they continued to, to sell the bikes without telling people that, hey, you, you might have to wait six or eight months to get them. But, but nevertheless, people were willing to do that. Well, it now appears that that, that Peloton bubble has burst. Uh, the stories that were coming out over the course of the week is that Peloton is now announcing that they are 
reviewing the size of their workforce and resetting production levels. Um, they're talking about how they're apparently going to pause bike production in February and March, pause production of their bike plus until June. Peloton won't manufacture their tread treadmill machine for at least six weeks. And then there's all sorts of reports suggesting that the Peloton might be in the process of, of laying off people. Peloton is saying, no, that that's incorrect. But there's no question that they are halting production of the bikes and treadmills because they see that there's a significant reduction of interest in this product, not just in the United States, but all across the world. Okay, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What happened here? Is this just a situation where they sold all the Peloton high-end exercise bikes that they were possibly going to be able to sell, that, that there's only so much of a market, and they just completely saturated and exhausted the market so that there's nowhere really to go? Or is this a situation of, I don't know, people just starting to realize that maybe all this money that I dropped on buying the Peloton and signing up for these things, maybe, maybe it was an impulse purchase but it doesn't have legs. In other words, it, it's not something that you know we want to continue to do. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Peloton is saying that there is a significant reduction in demand for their product and their connected fis- fitness equipment. What's happened here? And if you're somebody that, that purchased the Peloton bike, are you still using it as much as you used to? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a minute. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's if you want to look back. On and I remember when we talked about this about a year or two ago, and, and all my instincts screamed, you know, fad. And I know a number of people are saying, no, no, this is going to be the the next greatest thing. Well, it, it really hasn't turned out to be that way. Uh, Peloton announcing that they are temporarily halting production of their various fitness products as consumer demand ha- has waned on this. And apparently they're now in a situation where they, they guessed wrong in a big way about how many people would be buying their products because they had this huge wave early on at the start of the pandemic in the spring of 2020. And there was this huge demand as people were saying, okay, well, maybe we're going to rethink our exercise motives and maybe we won't be going back to the gym. And so people went out and they invested in what I think are these extremely highly priced exercise bikes. I mean, if you if you want to drop two grand on a bike, I mean, th- that's your decision when you can get something that's perfectly serviceable for 450 bucks. And, and the selling point was this interconnectivity that they ended up having here here you can like online you can be online and we can have these different classes and things like that and that was a selling point for a while but where they really misjudged things was failing to recognize that there was a finite number of people who were going to be willing to do that and you know they sold pretty much all those bikes 
to the people who were willing to drop that that lot that big time money in doing that and then there just wasn't enough of a universe out there to support it but they kept ordering and manufacturing bikes and bikes and bikes now apparently the story is they've got like warehouses you know that are are full of cycles and treadmills and they've got all sorts of other product that's sitting on on cargo ships so they've got all this incredible inventory but they don't have anybody buying it and that's not literally i'm sure there's some people that are buying it somewhere but they don't have anywhere near the number of people who are buying it who um at least they thought they would and it, maybe it's a great product but at some point in time they badly misjudged how many people were going to be able to were going to be interested in this moving forward i, I think it was something that was a creature of the pandemic here's one of our texts so jeff i think the pandemic just generated and accelerated demands for the products and now everyone interested and able to pay their prices all either already has one doesn't need one anymore because they prefer returning to their prior fitness centers or are they finding them used for great deals from others not wanting them their market just got saturated um i i agree with this um there's no question uh, about it 855-616-1620 linda in new berlin linda you're on wtmj hi hi linda um i got my peloton i'm coming up on uh a year and um i'm on it every day i love it i won't give it up why do you think why do you think they're having the problems that they are now because they're they're, they've stopped production they've got warehouses that are apparently full of these things what's going on well i don't know that they have warehouses full of them but i think their supply chain really got pinched i had to wait 10 weeks for my um peloton i ordered it december of 2020 and then it took 10 weeks for for me to get it um i don't know what their backlog is right now i i think people realize that when the backlog is oh well no see that's the problem um, the problem is they they don't have a back the problem is they're i mean i'm just looking at one of the stories uh, cnbc they're now left with that's one of the reasons they've stopped production They're, they're not making anymore because at least not for the next couple months, because they've got thousands of cycles and treadmills that are sitting on warehouses or in cargo ships. There really isn't a backlog anymore. Well, then I think that would if they're a problem, it's of their own creation. They didn't manage their supply chain well enough, yeah. and now yeah. it's it's come back to bite them. And maybe people who had orders canceled their orders when they realized it was going to take them, you know, six months to get a bike. Or a treadmill. I I don't think the treadmill safety issue helped them either. Uh, right, exactly. Thanks for the call. Yeah, you're exactly right. That was that was the other thing where you know there was a recall and they had to like make certain adjustments on the treadmill. No, I, I think. See, I think it's kind of sim- more simple than that. People always think the trees are going to grow to the sky, and 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 they don't. There, there's always a limitation on this. I think that the Peloton product really got caught up. It's kind of like the hula hope craze. And and, and like I say, I I know people just like our caller Linda. I I know who ride it every day and they love it and there's some of these like instructors that they just oh so and so is teaching this class and, and, and they just love it and they build their day around it and so I'm not suggesting it's an inferior product or anything of the like but what I think you end up seeing with this is that th- th- there's only so many people out there that are in a position to spend 
whatever it is for an exercise bike and then the extra $100 a month or whatever this might be, you know, to sign up to have the classes online and things like that. There's a finite amount of people that did it. And and you you were able to mine that market early on. And and that's, that's great. But Peloton made the mistake of assuming that people were going to, you know, continue and and that, that, that curve was going to continue to go up and more and more people were going to buy it. When the truth of the matter was, I think everybody that had one, you know, ended up getting it. And she's right. Linda's right about the supply chain thing. They had a lot of problems because they kept selling bikes and bikes and bikes and promising them when, without telling people that, hey, you might have to wait six or seven or eight months. That created, I think, some animosity as well. Bottom line of this is the product's not going away, and I know that there's people who love it, but this is one of these classic examples of businesses that get really hot and then assume that that, that they're going to stay hot forever. And the truth is that rarely, rarely happens, and Peloton is experiencing that now. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. You know, bad behavior is bad behavior. And and there's a story. I'm glad to see UW has done what it's done. I guess my question is, should we be more aggressive in dealing with this? There's nothing, and this is from my perspective as somebody who goes to a lot of sporting events, maybe not as many now as as I used to. But you, you go to sporting events, and I appreciate that, you, you want fans to be involved and you want fans to cheer and you want fans to to you know again you know support the team and I don't think there's anything wrong with some good-natured heckling of the other team but the, the operative word is 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 good natured and there, there, nowadays because I don't know maybe society's gotten coarser or whatever it's that, that line between really just rude disgusting behavior and, and good-natured heckling or whatever it, has diminished I mean how many times have you been to a game and you're there and there's the guy behind you or two rows behind you and and every third word is a word that you can't say on the radio, and they're screaming these different things out, and it just gets gets really, really old. Well, all right, how many people would like to see the the, the different stadiums, whether it's the Bucks or whether it's Marquette or whether it's the Brewers or the Packers or whatever, be more aggressive in dealing with the, those loud, obnoxious people who are clearly crossing the line. Well, I don't know if you saw this story, but this this happened at a Wisconsin-Northwestern basketball game the, the other night, and the game was at the Northwestern Fieldhouse. So there's a this is the video has gone viral, but there's a UW fan who is sitting in about the fourth or fifth row at the stadium. North, Northwestern, it's about half full. I mean, they, they don't draw a lot of fans for basketball. I have a lot of friends who are Northwestern graduates. I apologize, but that's just the truth. So anyhow, the guy is sitting there. He's like in the fourth row. I'm looking at the video now. He's wearing his Wisconsin Badgers red, and, and he's... He's apparently engaging. The student section is just to his right. Now, he's courtside, but the student section's behind the basket just to the right. And, and the video is of him standing up 
and he's apparently engaging with the the students that are in the student section and you know he's yelling you can't hear what he's yelling but he's making an obscene gesture repeatedly at the the people in the stands and i assume that the people in the stands are making similar gestures back at him and then what the guy does is he makes a gesture with his eyes. He, he's engaged with um, some Asian students that are in the student thing. And so he, he you know, um, again, makes this this motion that we would, you know, the slanty eyes for Asians. It, it's clearly a racist gesture. It, it's inappropriate, at which point in time the authorities come in and they, they move him out. You know, they, he, he's ejected. And UW, while they're not releasing his name, is now saying that, you know, he's been banned from UW athletic events going forward. And they're saying, look, this 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 is just not appropriate. And to the extent that, you know, you he, the guy doesn't work for UW or anything like that. He was just a fan. But now he, he's been banned from all these events. I have no problem with this because if you look at the videotape, the video of what's going on, it, it's clearly, you know, inappropriate. And you want to say to this character, you know, what are you thinking when you're doing this type of stuff? But I wonder whether this goes far enough. And here's what I mean by that. For, for everybody who's gone to a game and had their experience had their experience that's, I don't want to say ruined, but certainly, I don't know, it hasn't been anywhere near as fun because you've got that guy, not necessarily making the racist gestures, but the guy that's standing up and making the obscene gestures and screaming the obscenities and things like that. Wouldn't you like to see whether, again, whether it's the Brewers or the Packers or the Bucks or UW or Marquette or UWM or whoever, wouldn't you like to see in an effort to try to promote some degree of civility, wouldn't you like to see those people be more aggressive in saying, okay, that clearly this guy deserved to get tossed out and he deserves to get banned. You know, what are you thinking of with the racist stuff? But maybe we need to broaden it. Maybe you need to say, hey, if you're going to stand up and you're going to scream obscenities and you're going to make obscene gestures with or without the, the, the racist subtext to it, maybe... Maybe it's time for you to rethink some of your entertainment choices. Just saying, I've got no problem at all with them banning this guy. Matter of fact, I would like to see this, I don't know, become a standard moving forward. And when you've got the two-fisted slopper, the potty mouth person, maybe for everybody else's interest, maybe if you threw more of these people out, it would be an overall fan experience for everybody else. Back with more in just a couple of minutes. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. You know, it's said that you can't fix stupid, but I guess the question becomes, can you charge for it? All right, here's, here's the deal. And this is a story that's been emerging more and more recently. It's people who decide that they're going to do whatever they want to do regardless of whether or not it objectively makes sense. And then when they get in trouble or they get in over their heads, they expect people to bail them out. Now, last weekend, there was a huge winter storm that blew through the, the southeast, uh, North Carolina, Tennessee, etc. So, and in, in, in particularly in that part of the country, they don't they don't deal with snow <laughs> they don't use you know you say you know you say four inches of snow to us and it's like okay well it's four inches of snow we'll 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 figure out how to deal with it you say four inches of snow and frigid 
temperatures and stuff to people in North Carolina or in Chattanooga, Tennessee or wherever, and they just have, have no clue as to how to react to this. So here's the deal. Raleigh, North Carolina, last Friday, the weather, National Weather Service issues the, a winter storm watch for much of the state. They say, look, here, here's the deal. There's this big storm that's going to end up coming. And the storm actually did hit on Saturday, and it cut off power to about 200,000 people. Um, you know, there were warnings, stay home, don't go out, don't do these types of things. And, you know, because it, it, it's a big deal. They recognize that they don't deal well with this type of stuff. So into this, you have a situation where you have a guy who decides, well, you know, I've got plans to go camping. And, and I understand that they're telling me that there's a winter storm, but, but you know, I, I've been planning to, to go camping. And so Saturday morning, you know, faced with the winter storm warnings and stuff, this guy goes out um, for a, a hike and a camping expedition on this 30-mile um, trail that's in one of the national forests in North Carolina. So he hikes and he camps, okay? Well, here, here's the thing. And it's a very, apparently, it's a strenuous t- uh, trail, which, you know, takes, you know, people up, takes hikers up to various summits and things like that in the mountains in western North Carolina. And even in good weather, this is considered to be, you know, a, a tough sort of thing. So, all right, so the guy sets out, I'm going to go do this. I don't care about these winter storms. Well, you know, it's pretty clear what happens. He gets out there. The storm ends up hitting. He gets trapped and and can't can't come back down. He apparently spends the night Saturday night in these frigid sort of temperatures. He's got his cell phone, so he's calling, and it's the SOS. You know, you have to come get me. So what happens is they have a... A rescue team. Uh, it's the Haywood County Rescue Team. Six members of the rescue team mobilize. They dress in bright orange winter gear, six pairs of snowshoes, and they go out looking for the hiker. Apparently, they pile into a four-wheel drive truck. They, they end up driving as far as they can get. Then they got to abandon the truck, and they've got to put on their snowshoes, and they have to go out, and you know they have to go try to find him on on foot. Now, the good news here is that that they they caught him i mean they found the guy and what they were able to do is they were able to bring him out safely so i guess in that respect all's well that ends well they were able to save him nobody's lost their life etc now the issue though is what happens next do you i don't know do you make him pay for the cost of the rescue, which is undoubtedly going to be several thousand dollars, or is this just one of the things that comes with, well, I, I don't know, you've got these rescue teams, you know, we, we pay our taxes to have the fire department show up, we pay our taxes to have the police come out when we've been victims of crimes and things like that. In this case, the hiker goes into the mountains in the face of a storm, gets lost, disoriented, trapped, can't get out, is in a life-threatening situation, and then then calls, and essentially it's not 911, but it's the equivalent of 911 coming to rescue him. All right, should he be held accountable for that, and should he have to pay? Should anybody who does something like this have to pay, and where is the cutoff point? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And is this different than... I don't know, somebody who goes on a hike when it's just, 
sunny outside, there's nothing out of the ordinary, and something happens. They trip and sprain their ankle, or they get lost. Is this a situation that's different from something like that? 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, we discuss in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. You know, a number of our texters are, are raising, I find this to be an extremely interesting situation because um, a, a lot of people are using the ice fishing example. So what happens if you've got somebody who goes out, you know, ice fishing, and all of a sudden the ice breaks away and you need to have the Coast Guard or people, you know, come out and rescue them? You know, do do they, should they have to pay for that service? And does it, does it matter, I guess, is there a difference if it's foreseeable or not? For example, if you've got thin ice warnings, don't go out on the ice or danger, and you decide to go out anyways with ice fishing and it, it breaks off, well, sure, obviously they're going to have to go out and they're going to have to try to rescue you, but should there be a different type of liability than if it's just something that is completely and totally unforeseen. Now, in this particular case, you have this guy who, in the face of winter storm warnings, <laughs> decides that he's going to go hike this particularly arduous trail. Surprise follows surprise. He quickly gets not lost, but he quickly gets stuck in a very, very bad situation. And then you have to mobilize the rescue team. It costs thousands and thousands of dollars. Should he have to pay for it? I guess my answer is pretty clear, and my answer is, yeah, of of course you do. It's a much tougher call to me. Again, if it's something inadvertent and accidental, one of the deals, let's say, where you're walking on the trail and all of a sudden you have a misstep and you fall off the trail and you break your ankle and then you know you have to call 911 and they have to come out and you know tend to you you know should you have to pay for that rescue thing to me that's different than knowingly and intentionally setting out in an inherently risky situation and then ending up getting in a bad situation yourself 8556161620 Gianni in Montello good afternoon Johnny. Okay, lost Johnny. 855-616-1620 is the number. Let's see. Um, Jeff, if there's a known risk, you should have to pay. Um, someone gets broken off the ice every year in the Green Bay area. Yeah, that's exactly it. Jeff, having pay half the cost of the rescues with six months to pay and a warning next time if he hasn't learned. See, no, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't lower it. I wouldn't leave it at that level. Um, Jeff, this is ignorance. We should have the rescue service, but ambulance services they'll charge you if you have a stroke, even if it's beyond your own control. No, there's no question of, about this here. I, I just think that the the thing is, once you know and once you are on notice that you're in a situation where you're putting yourself into a potentially hazardous situation and you decide you're going to go ahead and do it anyways and you get yourself in trouble, well, I think it's reasonable to expect that you know, you're going to have to you know, compensate for that. Tom and Kiwaskum says, Jeff, it's a tough call. You hate to charge him for just being stupid when a guy puts his fireplace ashes in a paper bag, sets it in the garage, and it burns the house down, and four fire departments show up. They don't charge him with being stupid. It is, however, irresponsible putting others at risk. Well, to me, it's stupid and it's irresponsible. And, yeah, I think in a situation like this where you, especially to me, intentionally engage in conduct, which you should realize is likely to be risky. Like somebody inadvertently who, 
I don't know. I, I let's use the fireplace example with the ashes. Gee, I, I I didn't realize the ashes were hot. I put them in the bin and I inadvertently started a fire. That to me is different than saying I'm going to, despite the fact that there's winter storm warnings and they're saying stay home, I'm going to go take a hike in a in a very particularly arduous area. And then when something happens to you, yeah, they got to rescue you. That's great. But no, I I think you need to be held accountable for that. All right. When we come back. We will find out what Eric Bilstadt has on his mind. Stick around.